Um, in non-Annabelle context, uh, are y'all afraid of dolls at all? Or, like, any particular any particular things? Are y'all afraid of anything? Is no. It... Yeah. All right. Um, so is th- that helpful? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I like to get to know people. No, this is good. <laughs> this is good to talk about just, like, things that we feel and are just getting to know each other. It's really weird that this sort of like um, that uh, blind date show that Ellen hosted for a second was it was like that for podcasting was how the three of us met each other. Ellen DeGeneres introduced us. <laughs> That's the doll that I'm afraid of. She is... uh, she threw my glasses at PJ and said, pick them up if you want to see so bad. Uh <laughs> So that's how I got to know PJ. And um, Becky, you were carrying your, your box on the way out of your office because you um, coughed and then sneezed. So you had your box full of stuff from getting shit canned You there. can't do it in that order. Mm-hmm. Not if you want to work there. Yeah, she uh, she gave somebody else a promotion for sneezing then coughing. It's kind of That fucked. was me. <laughs> okay, right? Yeah, Fucking and now PJ, perfect they make $350,000 a year. <laughs> And I have the marks on my back to show it. Uh. <laughs> my grandma had some creepy fucking dolls growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, like when I was growing up, like there was um, there was a tea cozy that was like an ornamental doll with like a big dress and you would put it over like a tea kettle to keep it warm. Um, and that was one of those toys that I just kind of tried not to look at um, yeah. whenever I was like walking through her house. The other one that sticks out in my memory is... Um, did did either of y'all grow up around a location of the fast food franchise Roy Rogers? No, I did not. Big okay. Roy Rogers fan. They had um, a promotional line for A Real Monsters, and one of the monsters on that show, Ickis, is the little the little purple fellow, with the long ears, that fellow, as it were. And um, I I had a little figurine of Ickis that I that I kept from like different places that I moved to. Um, and there was one time that I was home alone and I got too high. Um, and, uh, I looked away and then looked back and the, the Ickis figure had like turned around and turned its back to me. Um, and I was, I was in, um, like a, like a, like a psychosis for like five minutes because (laughs) I had determined that Ickis was mad at me. Um, (laughs) and that's how I wrote the film Annabelle. Real quick, I know that was a perfect way to get into the movie, but I just have to say, um, ah, uh, Roy Rogers. <laughs> Nothing. You're <laughs> fucked for that. You're fucked for that. Bow down, yeah. you Arby's bitch. <laughs> I'm sure this is just a regular dog. Kind of my daughter, my life. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I, I'm gravely. It's Annabelle. It's Annabelle. My daughter's gonna hate this. My daughter's gonna hate this. Becky, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, I think the reason I'm coming in hot with Annabelle is I was terribly afraid of a doll I had. Like, brutally afraid. Like, created anecdotes that I told all the neighborhood kids about. My cousin and I still swear we saw it move. It was like one of those, like, classic, like, porcelain dolls, you know? And it was like a doll that I just put in the corner of my room 
or I, I had in the, I don't know, I just was born with mm-hmm. it in the corner <laughs> of my room. And I was too afraid to move it. But it was sitting in the corner of my room, like, when you walk into my room, like, you're facing that corner. So she, like, ruined from, like, when I was seven to nine years old. I was so afraid of her. And I didn't have the courage to literally move her. And it the, it felt so grave and scary. I didn't even tell my parents I was afraid. So I just... That was, that was my question. I yeah. just dealt with this, like, actual <laughs> fear, fear for so long so I don't know if that makes me like just fucking brave, but wow, did this movie miss the mark for me? <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. <clears throat> Why on earth not? <laughs> I saw this movie last night for the first and only time. Um, I, I made the deliberate decision not to rewatch it uh, because I was in um, the optimal state, I think, to be watching the film Annabelle, which is more drunk than you thought you were. <laughs> like, kind of like, okay, I've, I've like got a grip on things and how this evening is going to go. And then you stand up and it's like, ooh, going to have to make some calculations. Um, and I, I'm not going to say it's, I'm not arguing that it is a good movie, but I had a very good time watching Annabelle and I kind of like Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> I think Annabelle is... A fun time uh, with a scary doll. <laughs> I Becky's so mad. <laughs> Coiled. Just I'm actually cut. really, I'm actually really not mad. I'm really glad that we have something to disagree about because, like, we couldn't have watched it in two different states of mind, two more mm. different states of mind. For so everyone knows, I was higher than I've been since 2012, and I was <laughs> afraid on my couch before the movie started like afraid to move from that spot but then when i started watching the movie i got very brave and angry so i'm just like really because i actually know exactly what you're talking about dixon like i've watched many a horror film while i was drunk and just fucking loved it so i feel you i just am coming at it from a different pov you know, just like a smarter, cooler, like more sophisticated. <laughs> mm. Unwedgy. Uh, it's not a little muffled voice coming out of a locker. <laughs> yeah, no, I like, I actually don't have a wedgie. Like my underwear is like on the, fu- like around my fucking ankles. Like that's how far away it is from my fucking ass. That's what you got to do to pee standing up. I know. Fucking alpha. I fuck, I already know. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> we got fucking yeah. Chad takes on this fucking podcast, dude. Mm-hmm. Hey, shit, that doll is fucked up, dude. <laughs> Man, that doll, that fucking, that fucking, that doll, shit, that doll fucked up. <laughs> um, Let's go to I, New Jersey um, Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I go to the, I go to the middle urinal and drop them all the way down. <laughs> I go to the fucking middle urinal. I got my fucking underwear all the way around my ankles. I got my shirt up high like this. <laughs> Like, my fucking ass is out. I'm fucking peeing in the boys' room. I look for liquid on the floor that I can clean up by shuffling over it with my pants. And if anybody comes in, I say, oopsie doopsie, don't look at my poopsie. I'm a good fucking Samaritan, all right? (laughs) I have an an incredible story. I want to tell you both very, very quickly before we jump into PJ's opinion because it has to do with, with peeing. There was a person in my high school who... When he would sit down to pee, his balls would hit the toilet water and then shrink back up (laughs) inside of him. And the most incredible part about that is I'm not a ball owner, but like it seems pretty wild to me. You know, you know how like school toilets, I mean, those are deep. Those are sometimes a foot fucking deep. 
Yeah. His balls hit the water. I'm not sure I've ever felt um, my balls ever hit the toilet water. It happens all the time with my huge hogs. Mm. Um, with my fucking massive <laughs> right. cock, it happens right. all the time. And I get uh, that. And then that's different. <laughs> that's just a different sitch. I don't know. I I kind of get it. I've had my balls hit the water, but I always have Whoa. to put the toilet seat up first to do it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. You're... <laughs> That's really polite. <laughs> uh, how else are you going to keep your ass clean? Idiot. <laughs> I'm so stupid, sorry. You're so fucking <laughs> stupid, Becky. I keep always like putting it down like a fucking idiot. Anyway, <laughs> uh, just Don't wanna... you know anything? Dry ass Granger. <laughs> there she goes. No, no, I swear it gets wet. I swear. Where... <laughs> Where's your damp spot on your ass, Granger? <laughs> Fuck! It's dry as hell! I had this nightmare uh, <laughs> that I was I, st- I stood up to go to the blackboard in middle school and my ass was dry as a bone. <laughs> <laughs> those are the worst. I hate those nightmares. You'd think they'd end when school ended, but they follow mm-hmm. you into adulthood. You just gotta, if you get that kind of anxiety, you just have to go to the front of the classroom, look at all of your classmates, and just imagine that their asses are dry. That's huge. <laughs> I'm like embarrassed thinking about it for them, even in this hypothetical right? stage. Yeah. Like, well, that's the problem is when I do that, I get too horny. I just, mm. <laughs> I just blush, so it's different. Anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, <laughs> Annabelle 2014. You know, I, I really don't have uh, a very strong opinion in either direction on this thing. Like, I, my, my big take on Annabelle is that I think it's, like, adorably shitty. Um, <laughs> and, and something as, like, low-calorie, like, like, teen scare programming like this. Like, I, I'm just, you know, I'm glad it's around. But as for the seething conflict that's going on between the two of you, I'm hoping that I can pull out some child of divorce swag and kind of mediate the conflict by, as you would, just telling you both at the end of the day, it is my fault. (laughs) Welcome to Dead Horse. We're a podcast talking about franchises, the misbegotten, forgotten, underloved, and undervalued and overextended. Fuck. Uh, We're talking about- That's so easy, isn't it? What's that? Not so easy, is it? <laughs> Fuck! You thought you um, were all fucking ready, but I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm glad you went today. I was scared. Who's got the dry ass now? No, the ultimate burn. <laughs> I'm wet in all the wrong places. <laughs> now I'm wet at the front. <laughs> I actually don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm sweating straight through. I'm sweating straight through my supreme hoodie, but my ass is dry as a bone. <laughs> <laughs> That's lucky for you. That all goes to my feet. <laughs> I keep slipping out. I keep slipping out of my Nike sliders. That that big stain by my crotch. It's not piss. It's sweat, and it's normal to do that. <laughs> it's normal to sweat out of my dick. Oh, oh there's no dead horse. <laughs> Just the water I scooped up with my long balls. <laughs> We all have wet asses. We're all cool. We're cool kids. So let's just fucking stop, like, creating conflict where it doesn't have to happen. So, Annabelle, this is a film 
and we've all seen it. Any contesting there? Ah, uh, have I seen it? Doesn't it need to have taken purchase in in my memory for that to have happened? I I feel like we should we should step back just a little bit um and 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 bring, you know, the real Annabelle, the real haunted doll, which is the listener, in to sit in the rocking chair and make it go creak creak real loud and I'll go, "What was that?" Um we recently talked about the, the Spy Kids franchise by Robert Rodriguez. Um, we com- At least for now, until the reboot comes out, we've completed that series and we're kind of looking in a different direction. And we're looking in a sub-franchise within a franchise. That's right, we're talking about the Annabelle series, which is within the Conjuring-verse. Um, the, the house that this doll built. Dixon, go ahead. Take it away. It's sort of like a, the, the Annabelle franchise is kind of like... Um... I really wanted to take it on because um, unlike Spy Kids franchise, which was born out of like a striking original um, vision, th- this one is like sort of a, a, a Russian nesting doll of um, IPs we can take uh, full advantage of because it is, of course, a spinoff from the Conjuring movies, um, both of which made more money than God, as did uh, this movie. Um, and, you know, that is adapted from, uh, you know, the case files of uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lorraine yeah. Warren. Um, so, you know, it's it's all like layers of layers and layers and layers of like, how can we squeeze every last drop out of this thing? Um, and that sounds like pretty snide, uh, but I actually have kind of a lot of affection for, you know, belated entries um, of just trying to ring out an IP. You know, my favorite Friday the 13th movie is the sixth one. Uh, so I'm, I kind of think this movie's not good, but I, I just, I don't know. I had too good of a time with it. It's, it's the horror movie that people in a horror movie would be watching on TV. <laughs> where it's like, oh, that kind of looks like a piece of shit. I can see why everybody's talking and having a good time, you know? Becky, could you hit us with the summary of with your your summary of the film Annabelle? Well, first we open on I'm assuming what is a literal scene from The Conjuring, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. That I'll get into how I feel about that. But we open on a scene from The Conjuring that introduces us quite literally to the whole plot of the film. <laughs> um, we see a couple. Uh, Wow, what a perfect white couple we have in the 1960s. They just not a hair out of place the whole time. And um, so one of them is pregnant, and it's Mia, the wife. And then we have the husband, John. And John is in his residency. He's about to get real busy. But, um, you know, they got a baby on the way. And he's, that motherfucker is so sweet. He got her this fucking ugly ass doll. And it is about three feet tall. It's like a small man. That's the size of the doll. And he got it for her. She fucking loves it. Um, There is a church that they go to. And at the church, they have some friends that are older neighbors, older neighbor friends next door. They have an estranged daughter who, you know, has, as it so happens, murders them in the middle of the night because she is a part of Helter Skelter, Charles mm-hmm. Manson, the occult. She's a little cuckoo. So John goes to check on them because they hear a scream and then they attack Mia, who is pregnant, 
I said that. So stop asking. Who is pregnant. <laughs> and um, they stab her in the uterus. Let's just remember that he did stab her in the uterus. I'll come back to that later. Um, and uh, we see Annabelle holding a that big doll that John got me. <laughs> And mm-hmm. Annabelle, she lo- she loves the doll. She loves the doll that is Mia's, and she tells Mia that she likes the doll. So then, uh, the her ugh, fuck uh, Annabelle's crazy occult boyfriend tries to kill both Mia and John. They through the skin of their teeth make it out of there alive, but Annabelle. Uh, commits suicide and a drop of blood pool, just dripping from her neck drips into Annabelle's cornea and that's because that's how you get a doll haunted so then Annabelle <laughs> is in the doll so then you know they go to the hospital come back come back from the hospital everybody's gotta come because there was ick but now they're cool and then um they're scared creepy stuff starts happening she's sewing a lot let's just <laughs> make a note that like bitch loves to sew okay so mia's sewing a lot and you do get blue balls for a little bit of needle in finger but you barely will see it so um and then popcorn <laughs> and, and then the doll begins to um be very scary yeah. Um, and yeah. then Alfrey Woodard jumps out of a window and cracks her fucking skull open, and the family was very happy. Which is an an, an act to be unironically cel- uh, celebrated in this movie is the is the the point of view of the filmmakers. This this woman who doesn't know um, the affected family that well at all, being like, "No, I'll I'll do it. No, <laughs> I'll I will sacrifice myself." To these white people I met five days ago, (laughs) and I will just fucking fly out the window because my daughter died? I don't care. You own a bookshop. You love owning the bookshop. It's kind of just a lot of stuff happening. Like, there aren't a lot of, like, very clear incidents in there. I I think the the, the only one that I can think of, because I actually don't know what there is to summarize, like, after the, the doll is haunted point. Other than uh, the the only other real point is that she meets um, a, a nice owner of a bookshop um, whose signage on their window was printed out on computer paper by a PA ten minutes before they started rolling, um, and she doesn't really have a whole lot um, of a, a life or an interiority um, other than um, explaining various ghouls out of a out of a research book to Mia. Because everyone's favorite scene in a horror movie is when someone goes through an old book and they see old illustrations of um, Bagul or or the the ancient demon Grim Grim or uh, the the ancient um, Spookablast um, Gunchers, um, which I believe was uh, the villain of this film. Um, I mean, the, the second we saw the bookkeeper, I said. Man, she's really going to walk us through a couple scenes, isn't she? <laughs> wow, those life experiences will... She just knows how to deal with ghosts, and that's just what happens when, I guess, you're the only black person in this entire fucking film. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing about this movie's dialogue is um, that the way, the way it's written, 
I um, confidently looked at uh, my girlfriend, pointed at the screen, and said about every character when they were introduced, I think they're possessed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, no character appeared on screen who I wasn't like, ah, that's the secret villain, because the way they were speaking was just so far away from recognizable human language. Yeah. Um, after... Uh, what is it? John and Mia uh, get into a bit of a tiff, and John is trying to make up. He goes, um, <clears throat> "Can't we just rewind it two minutes ago?" <laughs> and I, I fully like stood up and started cheering and waving a foam finger. <laughs> this, wait a second! Wait a second! What is this? 1969? <laughs> mm-hmm. Would they have used the word rewind? Oh, holy shit! Maybe. Dang. What the no fuck? Way. Projector? I don't know. In no way would have. Would you rewind a projector? I don't know. That's been. I'm, you I'm would, stretching. You'd wind it. You would rewind it. Yeah, I'm. I'm stretching here. I'm really tr- like grasping for straws to like defend Annabelle <laughs> in any sense. Okay. One another reason why I like this movie um, is because I think it is really charming to watch good performers take on dialogue of this level and try to make anything out of it because oftentimes i thought they succeeded or at least i thought they tried their best i kind of don't have i I can't fault any of the performers i think they all really brought it but you know there's only so much that bringing it can do with some of these words you know Dixon, you would love the Hallmark Channel. I do. Uh, everything I've seen from the Hallmark Channel has been, I've filed that one away in the old memory banks. What's the one they're... about the swim, there's a swim, there was one about a swimmer getting addicted to porn? That sounds right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sorry, anyway. What were you going to say? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I just, you tried to start talking and I just drove right over to be like, wasn't there one about a swimmer with porn? I think the reason I I don't like this film is it's just lacking a soul. And, like, when I say that, I mean exactly what you're saying, Dixon. Like, the dialogue is so prescriptive and exposition-filled and plotty that, like, these people do not have an opportunity to do fucking anything. And so the this couple has... I mean, they're both gorgeous. They look perfect. They don't feel, like... A couple they don't feel real whereas i mean i haven't seen the conjuring in a long time but they felt like a real couple and i think that's like what the super difference is, is these people they felt like a like a couple in a commercial that we got to watch for an hour and a half i i really i i, w- I was thinking the same thing like where i think that their performances were the best that they could do and i really noticed actually mia the actress who plays Mia, her name is Annabelle Wallace, I think, which is kind of funny. So when Mia is talking to Evelyn, something about Mia, like, just fucking changes and lights up. Like, if you rewatch the dinner, like, the, the scene where they're sitting over the dinner table where she asks, like, what happened to her daughter and how her daughter died, you see Mia finally, the actor, or, like, the actor, like, be alive and alert and awake because there's so much chemistry between the two of them in that moment and that is what was lacking the entire rest of the film there was absolutely no life happening behind their eyes because they didn't buy what was happening to them and i think my biggest qualm my biggest qualm is firstly i yes not caring about the couple because then why would i watch the film but the doll is not scary the doll is not scary at all she is ugly But she very, very, and I don't know the quality of it. I don't know how to fix it exactly. But it looks like a fucking ugly prop at worst. 
And, and when the doll is in a rocking chair, I imagine a PA pushing the rocking chair so it can start moving. It does, it, none of the scary parts in this film, and there are a few that I actually was really excited about, mm-hmm. have any fucking thing to do with the doll. Yeah. And so that's why the film to me is absolute dog shit. <laughs> Not only that, but like the fact that like, it looks like it. It is colored like a reenactment series. Like it's so bright. Ooh. All the colors in it are super bright, and then this like scary quote unquote thing will happen. But like the props are like not the props and the makeup aren't good enough to like make that odd thing in the bright world look scary. So everything just ends up looking like a reenactment scene. And I will probably go on like a three minute tirade about the stairwell scene, but we'll get to that later. That's a really good way of uh, putting the look of this movie, Becky. Everything really does look like it should be, you know, Robert Stack should be narrating over it. Yeah. Um, And part of what made, uh, well, there's a lot that made The Conjuring good. In in my opinion, I really like The Conjuring. I haven't Um, seen it in a long time, but I liked it too. It's it's really, it's really something. Um, And, uh... James Wan and the costume designer and the cinematographer, everybody involved with that production, really, um, sh- really shows and not tells um, like the time period, um, the state of like this family's finances. Um, like they do a lot with they do a lot with just pure visuals. And and James Wan and um, his cinematographer, whose name I should learn, um, they're wondrous with a camera. Um, John, I think it's John Arleonetti, um, a really accomplished cinematographer worked on James Wan or worked with James Wan on a couple things. Um, he went on, he had one previous directorial credit, which was a movie that says here it's called, uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Um, and his second movie after that, uh, it says here it's called Annabelle. <laughs> the, the DP of The Conjuring is the director of Annabelle. And I don't know what got lost in the translation here. There's like one or two moments where the camera work is kind of interesting. Like there's that one long take with the uh, the attack scene. I think it has a, again, I will say, I don't think this movie is good, but um, the, the attack scene when the cult is attacking John and Mia is like very effective. Um, there are a couple of shots in particular, one that's like backed out into this street in this suburb and Mia is walking from her house to her neighbors and both of the doors are just cavernous and black and it's like dead silent and it's it's really chilling. Um, and then all of a sudden John erupts out of the neighbor's house and is like, there's blood, it's not mine, go. Um, and that's like, oh shit, like now we got ourselves a movie. Um, and yep. they, they really kind of squander that goodwill. Every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time there's a scary thing, the next second, there's an unscary thing that <laughs> neutralizes the acidity of the scary thing. Like, that long shot was so incredible. When she's running back and she gets on the phone, I was a little bummed out with the phone call. It felt very... I didn't buy that moment, which was unfortunate because the, the, I was with her running, right? Like, I, I all of the attack scene is pretty fun, it's not until the haunting stuff starts, I think, that you're like, well, this isn't scary. I mean, it's just bad. Well, the other thing about the opening 10 minutes is that, like, this is the only part of the movie that hasn't been in a billion other movies. Like, everything, once the doll gets, like, reactivated or whatever, 
Um, it's just, it's like a haunted house movie. You've, you've seen it. You've seen better examples of this movie. Um, however inventive any of the following moments are, they're just like, th- they're moments, you know, from or inspired by movies you wish you were watching instead. The cult stuff at the beginning, um, like a cult walking into, you know, the open doors of the 1960s. Yeah. And, and the first scare is um super like, scary yeah like through the, the window yeah it's it's like jumps it's a jump scare sting um but all it's attached to visually is just like some blood splattering on a wall which is like the, through their neighbors through their window looking into their neighbor's house like they were the first ones who were murdered everything from beyond that point is just kind of um nothing uh i really liked the movie i I think also that's part of why i do dig it because it's just like um could not be more archetypal i can i'm ready to size up any scene and just be like okay here we go i think i said something about turning my brain off in a good way with spy kids this is turning my brain off in a bad way sure um but i still come out of the other side being like that devil (laughs) sure was tall That doll is scary. It didn't actually feel like it was in a different decade. Like yeah, it, yeah. it it looked like it was and I bought it as much as I needed to, but like there are ways to like really make you feel the griminess of certain decades, but instead it was all like the fun parts of the other decade. Um so that really like I didn't feel like I was anywhere when I was watching it. I, I, I started it out and had forgotten that it was like widely agreed upon as being bad, and I was like, Oh, is this is this restrained is this character focused and then once we got into that entire back half i realized uh no you know there's <laughs> there's like this very fine line between like restrained and vanilla and there's there's a quality to this movie becky you nailed it about the like uh reenactment film thing i i feel like and i i, I don't know the first thing about cinematography but i i I get a sense that it's kind of difficult to give you a real sense of an era when you are shooting and lighting for for digital because there were so many scenes that felt like they were shot by a GoPro or like there was like a a moving light with the camera that was like tracking on an actor's hair that would kind of take you out of it. Um, But a lot of it just comes down to like, this feels like like pure flicks a little bit. Like this feels like a faith-based film. And what's funny- they're like a little too hot in this like sort of Broadway kind of way. Like, what's what's the poor fucker's name? What is it? Ward Horton. Ward, that dude uh, is Horton. so hot. Ward, it is not Ward allowed. Sporton. Heterosexual Jonathan Groff. He's yeah. He's like three D printed. Absolutely. Uh, it's poor so guy. fucked up. Because literally, like everything he did felt disingenuous to me. And when I was rewatching it, I was like, oh, he's just really hot. So I just like chemically cannot buy anything he says. Yeah, I I think he like. I don't buy it, but it's not his fault. Like, I can see both of them acting, and it, I would not do any better. I would, in fact, do far worse. They're they're both trying so hard. Oh, 100%. I need to emphasize that I agree with that. They did an excellent job. Motherfucker was 38 when oh he God. did this. That's it's so bullshit. fucked up. I already look so much older than him. <laughs> oh, no. I thought he was, yeah, maybe 29 at most. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Fuck never mind. Fuck Ward Horton. <laughs> Ward Horton, if you're if you're hearing this, you can eat a pile of shit. I, when I was rewatching it today, I wrote down things I did like, and something I loved is that they start off with their cute little thumb war in the middle of 
watching in the middle of their church service. Now, why didn't that work? I don't know. It didn't make me believe they were actually in love in a couple. Like, I just thought it was, like, excellent writing. Like, that's so cute. That's such a personalized little moment that we got. But it didn't carry into the rest of it for me because they were so fucking archetypical for the entire resident. Busy doctor guy wife is going a little cuckoo. She's a little overly sensitive because she's really pregnant. So it's just like I couldn't, there wasn't enough uh, quirk in there for me to latch onto them at all. So that was a bummer that that was like a lost opportunity. It was one of the few like flashes of personality uh, they were afforded. Most everything else, I, it's not often that I say this, but this movie could have been longer. I think it would have benefited from just like, an extra scene or two at the beginning, just like establishing their personalities, um, the, the nature of their relationship. Because the thumb war is in church is something. Um, the uh, the bit where they're uh, riffing on names with their neighbors it is something, but there's not enough of those incidents to paint a picture of these. Exactly, people. you're like it's something, but what is it? I don't know if Mia is is you know contrarian or if she's passive and agree i can't i literally don't know what she's like all i know is she's a little sensitive because she's pregnant and that she's pregnant that's literally all i know about her and it's a shame because i think the act i think that actress could have done more if she had been given more it it's a it's a real um a lot of aspects of this movie are, are a real shame uh because just you know by virtue of being a spinoff you're going to invite um uh, comparisons to the conjuring and where the con- the conjuring they, these both of these movies feel like rube goldberg machines but the conjuring feels like tightly wound um you're always you're you, you're always wondering if it's gonna work um the moments you think it's faltering it actually like you know is doing whatever whiz bang complex mechanics um it is actually designed to and this one like you know it is sort of just like a, oh look the events are set in motion but it's just kind of like when you uh, roll a Hot Wheel into like a kind of a Lego wall you made and it like sort of breaks and you're like, yeah, I'm playing. <laughs> you just tell yourself, I am playing. I'm little Beethoven. You know, I mean, you were you were talking about how it's a Russian nesting doll of IPs, but one of them is uh, is Raggedy Ann. The original oh, yeah. Annabelle doll was a Raggedy Ann doll. So this is actually like, for for fans of the franchise like me, um, and you know countless troops overseas, this is the closest we're going to get to a Raggedy <laughs> Ann movie, um, and that's a little frustrating. America's film, Annabelle. <laughs> well, you know Raggedy Ann used to do all kinds of USO shows and stuff like that to keep the morale high for the troops. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> in the in the immediate aftermath of nine eleven, Raggedy Ann was was on TV saying we're gonna find out who did this we're gonna get to the bottom of this and we're gonna we're gonna crush them under our squishy little boots um i have some thoughts on the film and some of the the thematics going on um with um i mean we were talking about how it kind of like looks like a faith-based film and how they you know the main couple just feels like energetically mormon um the writer of this i think his name is gary dauberman um, he's not the only like professional horror film person who is of Christian faith. And, and I don't think being like a devout Christian, 
um, excludes you from being able to tell really interesting stories about God and the devil, for crying out loud. Hello, The Exorcist, um, which is an incredible movie about about having a relationship with faith and kind of having a crisis of it. Um, and I, I think, you know, in interviews, he's he's kind of talked about how, you know, to believe in the devil, you also have to believe in good. And there is, you know, uh, a thread of intentional or unintentional Christianity that runs through out a lot of this stuff but there's um there's there's definitely just a lot of this movie that feels like like a fucking communion wafer and it feels like this is the thing this is the movie that you and your fucking protestant family have to see over here while the cool kids family are like over here watching whatever lords of salem um this even goes throughout like the Conjuring, which is about um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, and while you know the movie makes the um, the choice of adapting them as these kind of like sexy detectives, um, the real um, Lorraine and Ed Warren are well. I mean, no, um, Ed is no longer with us. Lorraine still does you know speaking promotions and worked with them on these movies and went to Comic Con and that's believe fine. Believe Lorraine is also uh, passed away. Whoops. Yes, I think. <laughs> sorry Lorraine um sorry Lorraine I said you weren't dead <laughs> <laughs> that's her and the doll over there um but there's I uh, I don't know there's a lot of stories about them that don't hold up to even immediate scrutiny or are the subject of like lawsuits and stuff and like when when you go to their their haunted museum of all the stuff that they have and there's hilariously a raggedy Ann behind a glass case that says absolutely do not touch and a priest blesses it twice a month one of the things that they also have in there is like a dungeons and dragons book um like you you have to view a lot of this stuff through the kind of like satanic panic of like the 60s through the 80s because even like all the scary stuff to me feels like it is a very faithful adaptation of like like a like a frightened old person rambling to you about some stuff that went wrong in their apartment like oh i was i, I you know i was running the sewing machine and i i dang i plumb forgot we had the jiffy pop going on in the other room i practically started a fire but i swear to god it was that <laughs> goddamn doll in the other room oh and sure, sure sure as a bell's ear i heard i heard a window slam right after that i mean I could, I mean, maybe I was getting a little uh, distracted and whatnot, and, you know, I'd, you know, I'd gotten a little funky with taking a couple too many Tums, because they taste so damn good, but... I thought maybe it had something to do with the cultist stabbing me in the <laughs> uterus, but uh, John said, no, no, unrelated. No, 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 <laughs> That's no, the no. other thing. And I believe my husband. Is there any arc in there? In where? And like, in him being so unsympathetic and condescending. Okay, there is no definitive point where he goes, there's no, like, shift in his believing her. All of a sudden, he's just like, I believe you. And she's like, I'm so glad you believe me. And and he's like, I love you. And it's like loving someone has nothing to do with whether or not you believe that they're being haunted. In the beginning, it's like a bunch of condescension and it's a bunch of, like, sort of playful lightheartedness. But there is no, if I remember correctly, literal, like, shift where I see him understand that she's being haunted. 
He just decides to be supportive and believe that she's being haunted with no evidence that she's been haunted. And listen, that would be fine, but we have to see that he makes the choice to start believing her, but instead he just, like, asks a priest to come over and and just chose to start believing her. I just, his character, I just don't understand. I don't understand because, like, there, there seemed to start to be a narrative of you're crazy, but then they didn't go that direction. Instead, he was, like, this really supportive hu- husband who, like, a micro-gaslit her in the beginning. It's so strange. Uh, he was he was the first character about whom I thought, oh, the twist is going to be that he's possessed. Because there are a couple of scenes where he appears, like, like almost um, inhumanly, like, cold and unbelieving. Um, but then minutes later, he's, he's pitched as being like a, you know, supportive husband who, who, uh, all he wants is the best for his wife and his baby. It's, it's weird. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, yeah, this movie I, rules. there was so much, like, I, I was like waiting to see when that shift happened and it didn't happen, but I wanted to circle back to the fucking sewing machine. Literally, they gave me blue balls for her, like freaking getting her finger sewed and they did so many sewings i think it was two full long sewing scenes before she does actually sew her finger which it was brutal when they showed the needle go through her finger and then two seconds later she's back to sewing i was like that is a legitimate wound like she was just like la 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 i'm you know what doesn't even hurt (laughs) it's like yes it does did, did that piss you guys off? That made me so mad. Yeah, I feel it, it'd be like if I was fishing and uh, got my foot bitten by a snapping turtle. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, ah, fuck. And then just like got right back into the boat. Like, and, ah, and she that's was the like, dangers of fishing. <laughs> she was smiling at the TV by the time the popcorn exploded. I was like, didn't you just explode your fingertip two <laughs> seconds ago? You look so well. I, that movie had to be PG thirteen, right? There's no way that was R. Um, That's like a kiddie scare. This is yeah. like made for middle schoolers to go and get like finger blasted by fucking Spencer McDonald in the safety of a dark AMC. Is it really PG thirteen? I really I f- no, it's R. What? Yeah, I think it was R. That's wild because it re- it feels doesn't deserve. It feels incredibly compromised. It it feels absolutely like Tame. um th- yeah the the scares feel designed by committee almost. Um, this is not again um comparing it to the Conjuring um, but this is a movie that uh, I haven't felt this about any other thing in the franchise that I've seen. This is a movie that could stand to have a lot more gore. I totally because like the things that they're that are happening and that they're afraid of involve terrible amounts of bodily harm um the 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 sewing that could have been a lot more fucked up in my opinion um the the stabbing of like her getting stabbed in the stomach when she's but she's fine everything's cool she gets stabbed and it's fucking fine it didn't feel like anything it, it didn't feel like a wound i should be worried about when it's like you know one of the most frightening it should be one of the most frightening images that we can see a pregnant woman being stabbed um but it's just it's handled um like uh like a cramp it's handled like a literal menstrual cramp i'm like dang she that bitch needs some mitol like she looks <laughs> upset um 
Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I think warranted gore is always fun. Like, if it's, if it's good and it, like, adds something to it. But this is, like, like PJ was saying, it's just so vanilla. Like, it needs fucking some spice. Another time when my interest spiked was when she hallucinated her baby dead on the floor. Like, the, I don't want to give it credit exactly. The visual of a baby dead on the floor is a heavy spice. I don't think it's, like, exploitative, but it just doesn't match the tone and timbre of everything else. It feels like a weird spike in the EKG. It's because it was actually scary. It's because it was actually good and scary and the rest of the film is not. And you're like, whoa, oh, that's actually good. Like, great. And then they literally, incredible moment. She's going absolutely crazy. She She's trying to find her baby everywhere, but the demon has hidden her baby. So she finally finds Annabelle in her daughter's crib. So she's like, where's my baby? What do you want from me? And she starts killing him. She's trying to break the doll. And then she realizes that it's actually her daughter. And then she... She literally broke her daughter's neck and she's cradling her dead baby after being haunted by this demon. And you're thinking, yeah, demons are master manipulators and you can never offer, you know, you can never like the soul has to be offered. And then it turns into a doll. It is such a powerful, compelling, scary, almost earned moment. And then she's like, and then it's a fucking doll and i i i lost my mind i said you finally did something right and you took it away one second later i just that was actually gonna be something worthwhile and then it's just like nope we're just fucking with you which it doesn't work that deep into the film the fucking with you has to come later in or earlier in my opinion if the child was involved more in the like funhouse scary bits if you know the demon was clearly doing something to the kid like it like it does in this scene that would have been something everything else could have stayed the same and it would have been bumped up a letter grade just because you know it just tugs at your nerves that much more when it's happening to a fucking baby like that's again that is something um but it just introduces that element willy-nilly and then just kind of drops it again you know that business where um the baby is on the other side of a locked door and a bunch of books are falling off of the bookshelf and you're waiting for one of them to crush the baby in in a kind of like darkly funny like danny devito movie kind of way i i think i think that hits you know i mean all building all of it around the baby being endangered by the doll in the room is i mean you know you can you can get a cheap ride out of out of that and and this movie you know it um it it passes 2 hours in an october in 2014 um and that's i think that's one of the best things i can honestly say about it i thought the score got the job done there were a couple of moments that i noticed the score was doing something I know I keep saying that, and like, but but that is sort of it stimuli. Like it has to yeah. do something to your body. Like that's true. That's actually a truly powerful and good review in a way. Yeah, it's it's honestly like the most the the baseline criteria with which I judge a movie is like: Are these scenes something? Is this movie something? Is this a movie? 
you know, um, and not in the sense of like, if something is bad, then I don't qualify it as a movie. But just if I don't know, I think if all you get is the sort of airy sense that like time has passed and images have like, you know, flittered in front of you. I don't know. It just feels it, it's frustrating. I'm honestly mad now, too. I've reversed my position. I think this movie is now upsetting me. <laughs> Point one talk- ranger. I want to talk about the... Um, I want to talk about the squandered opportunity of the, like, basement scene. So, Mia goes to, like, throw some trash away. And it's, like, a dark, creepy, unlit basement she hears a baby crying and and the stroller a stroller is pushed out into the hall and now that was like a little much i wish it was already just like there and like we didn't realize it but the fact that like a pa pushed it out was just like Ugh. so she hears a baby crying and the first problem with this is that the baby's crying isn't coming from anywhere which it might sound like it could be creepy, but it just made it sound like a sound effect and it wasn't sounding like she was getting closer to a source, which to me builds more um, anticipation. But instead it was like she was getting closer and it still sounded like really far away. So she gets up to the crib and there's just like a bloody rag. And then this this black like demon hand grabs her wrist and it, it was like a little jump scary, but she didn't even look up at what it was. She just like ran away. So she runs away and she's in the elevator and she's trying to go up. Now this is legitimately scary. You're in an elevator and the doors keep opening and you cannot leave. Being in an elevator and be, and, and having the same haunted like uh, uh, exterior is fucking terrifying and i was like so excited i thought it was so scary that every time she pressed the button it didn't move so then she can't get out of the elevator so she runs up the stairs she runs up the stairs and there's fucking lightning what's going on it's literally bright flashes of white light as though a literal reenactment series of just like she's running up the stairs and it almost looks like it's in like fucking like like, she was moving, like, under strobe lights, and it was the unscariest, worst choice I have ever seen. I was fucking livid because I was really <laughs> scared five seconds beforehand, and then you see the demon at the bottom of the stairs looking up at her, and then he's right in front of the camera and upside down one second later, and I literally rolled my eyes into my head, out my ass, and then they hit the toilet water and sucked back up into my face. <laughs> It was such a squandered opportunity. It makes me so mad because it was actually really scary for a second. A, a weird thing also about that scene, um, I, maybe this was just like my particular internet connection when I was streaming it, but I think when she's running up the stairs and maybe in a couple of other moments in the movie too, they change the frame rate. That's like, what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and it's like just like, the what? frame rate gets higher and it, yeah, it just like makes everything look a little faker. It looked so fake. It looked like a crime reenactment show and it just, and then like after that scene, <laughs> after that scene, they they just show the camera back on the stairwell like in reference to what had just happened (laughs) like yeah like i remember that was kind of a second ago why are you showing that to me i and speaking of like a retroactively squandered opportunity 
I don't think that this is like they had a really good thing and then they botched it. It was just a thing that existed and then they made funny. Um, when Evelyn gets thrown out of the door, I thought like, oh shit, no, Evelyn's dead. Um, but then she like comes back in like- and so she just gets like thrown out of the like, get out of here. Like this is this is a master manipulator demon who is like in possession of a child trying to get and probably succeeding in getting this child's mother to jump out of a window so he could take her soul. And he's just like, hey, he's get like, out of here. You're not supposed to be in here. This is Mia's apartment. Mom says you can't come in. If you cross the demon that is summoned by the disciples of the ram, it will touch you in ways that will make you say, hey. It will touch you in ways that make you say, whoa, 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 whoa. The the demon is funny. It'll touch you in ways that make you say, if you're in here, then who's in there? Like Zoink Scoop, I totally smashed this baby's skull. <laughs> um, so I, <laughs> I have a, th- I have a thought. The demon, there's something. The one kind of cool thing in the Conjuring universe, to my knowledge, um, is that there's this composer who hadn't been actually on my radar at all until we started looking into this series. Um, he's a guy named Joe Bishara, um, and he has worked with a couple different like like, gothy, like, metal bands and metal acts. Um, And if you look him up, he's actually a very striking-looking person with both ears pierced and uh, eyebrows drawn on, completely bald. Um, We we stan an Andrew King. Um, He, um... He did the score for a lot of James Wan movies, but the one that really burst him onto the scene was Insidious, where he has a lot of these... Um, completely nightmarish, discordant, atonal, like avant-garde strings quartet compositions that if you... In this movie, it's lots of like standard horror movie stuff that's like... After a scary thing, but um, he has compositions in Insidious that are um, painful to listen to in a way that takes a lot of skill. Joseph Bashar, the reason I bring him up, hold on, is that he... um, he plays a physical demon in, like, a lot of these movies. So he's the lipstick demon in Insidious. He is any amount of, like, tall, like, big-sized demons in The Conjuring. Um, he's the devil thing in this one. Um, they mostly do it out of, I guess, tradition, because um, he, he doesn't get a whole lot to do in this one. I kind of like the way that he looks. Um I don't love it. I like it till he's upside down for no reason. Why is he upside down? <laughs> hey, uh, cinema, ding. Uh, why is this guy upside down? <laughs> Honestly, um, get right side up. Like, I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm not more scared because you're upside down. Wait, you think I'm going to get scared because kiss me like Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I am scared, but just, but I'm scared of Spider-Man, not you. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm scared of Toby. I'm scared of Toby. But I'm not scared of you. Scared uh, Toby, of you. Toby upside down. I gotta kiss him in the rain. No, Why does he you. keep trying to kiss me? No, thank you. <laughs> I demon. I'm not scared of you. I'll kiss you right on the face. You're looking kind of cute. I'll kiss you on the. Ma- I'll kiss you on the mouth. The Green Goblin turned all my relatives to skeletons with his pumpkin <laughs> bomb, and I'm ready to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I I had I had points. They got away from me. Someone someone save it. Someone save the podcast. Someone save the show. <laughs> Okay, so I burst out 
fucking laughing when she runs in so like in the in the chaos at the end where she like can't find leah her baby anywhere and the demons are fucking with her mind she's starting to feel suicidal well i think that actually hadn't occurred to her quite yet but she runs in this is like this is like why this movie doesn't work she runs into the room and annabelle is like on the ground in a weird position her head is askew like not even making eye contact with mia and mia her just just god bless her god bless that actress she's like what do you want from me but they're not even making eye contact like i know that it's a doll but like turn her head huh like let's make them at least pretend to like have a moment of connection but instead it's just like this like Am I alone? I literally, like, almost cried. I, yeah, I got, like, my head got a little bit in my phone as the movie went on. I perked up for, I, I it makes me sound like an irresponsible podcaster, uh, which is the worst thing to be. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Um, no, but and I'm please not. don't say that, because I do want to still be friends and, like, I just don't want to hear I, that about you. I'm a good man and a fine podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to, because there definitely was... I remember the moment um, that was the funniest to me. Again, God bless this actress. It sucks so bad that she has to do this. Well, no, it probably doesn't. She probably got, you know, paid a lot of money. Um, and, you know, it's good, good for her. I, I'm not trying to put myself above this role or anything. I would abs- I would take it in a heartbeat. Oh, I would too. say any of this Billion shit. Billion percent, I would take that role in an absolute heartbeat. I would be in this film. I would, I would ride for this film if I were in it. I just need to make that clear. Like, I am only saying this because I'm a fucking asshole. <laughs> um, but she, I think she's in the hospital bed after, like, the fire thing. And she says... It's like the house is accursed. <laughs> Why couldn't she just say cursed? Why on earth couldn't you just change the line to it's like this house is cursed? It because still sucks. you but- fucking idiot. It's the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, between those big old gas-guzzling cars taking up two lanes of the highway, men still wearing suits like we should today, dressing up to go on an airplane, calling things accursed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> um, what yeah, do no, you I... want from me? Her soul. Her soul. Her soul. <laughs> yeah, I think you've kind of fully turned me around, Becky. I, I am no longer willing to die on the hill of... It's, it's fine. <laughs> I get that. But listen, I would have been in your exact same position had I watched it in your state of mind. But, you know, when reviewing the facts, it's all just comes down to math that one plus one equals a fucking wet ass. Wet ass. Um, from the top, <laughs> make it drop. And That's some to. wet ass. <laughs> put, a, put a bucket in a mop. That's some wet For ass. Wet ass. <laughs> God, Ben Shapiro got so mad at that song. Ben is, I mean, Ben is the driest ass of all time, so it's just sort of like a personal like wound for him. Yeah, he's he's never even made his wife's ass wet. (laughs) Okay, before, before we wrap it up, I need to just fully emphasize how absolutely fucked it is that in the same year Michael Brown is killed, they create a film and release a film. That treats her that disposably? 
the yes, the only black character in this film who, if I could just say, is the best actor in the film. Like her, oh, I don't her think, majesty yeah. and like presence is just like unparalleled within this film. In fact, I mean, I was so high, I was watching. I was like, she's the only person who's real. She's the only person <laughs> in the film who's real, and she elicits life from her like other people who are in the scene with her because you can just i could just see the moment before they started filming like real life happen and they say hey let's just have her die for this white couple that i don't even care about um even though her story seems to be far more powerful and earned and warranted to have been heard and as pj Oh. As PJ hilariously put it in the chat, they were like, the family unit is restored. <laughs> You're welcome. It's all and better it's just now. Like, what the fuck is wrong with everybody? And listen, I don't know. In a in a almost pseudo, pseudo colorblind film industry, which I would argue 2014 probably pretended to itself that it was. Um, they, they didn't think that through for sure. Nor would I have in 2014, if I'm being real. I like that she keeps, like, verbally reassuring, um, the couple and the audience that they don't need to feel bad about this. Um, this is actually (laughs) something that's been happening in, like, a lot of, I feel like it's been happening in blockbusters a lot, is, like, um, Black Widow in Avengers Endgame will say, like, over and over again, no, this is my choice. You have to respect and uplift my voice. And my voice says that I'm going to fucking kill myself. Like, it, it feels like it's... I mean, I, I'm sure they thought it was like a heroic ending for her in their heads. I'm sure they thought this was like, this is going to be the best parts of The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby all in one. And only true horror fans will be able to catch references to kind of obscure movies like like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist and Mickey Mouse. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, if, if anything, it both takes the bite out, but also makes it, like, um, kind of insulting. Like, there's, there's this way that, like, horror movies can be completely brutal and unsentimental with the way... Like, one of the things that I really love in a well-done horror movie, especially if it knows how to really build its characters, and all the better if it can do it with humor, is um, how fucked up it feels when the people who are dying are people that you form a bond with and, and, and that you miss them. Honestly, I think the last couple years of horror have really been able to do that with, like, you know, Jordan Peele's stuff or, like, Ari Aster's stuff. Like, these are... These feel like real people, and when they start to go, it starts to feel um, a lot more fucked up. And I get the sense that they thought they were making that kind of movie here. Because I think I think The Conjuring is kind of, honestly, like a, a, a great example of that. And I think everyone was really juiced off of like, wow, hey, okay, this thing really worked. Like, Warner Brothers is trying to have its own, like, Bloomhouse sort of thing and it's going to be the James Waniverse and these movies get to be low budget. Um so I'm sure they they really thought they were onto something here, but it's um you know what? Alfred Woodard got paid and and I think that is one of um honestly the best things that came out of this 
honestly wonderful movie. It also kind of goes to show that, you know, although dolls often nice and good and loved by kids, sometimes dolls not good, sometimes they scary. What if a what if a clown robbed banks? <laughs> <laughs> That's fuck. Don't say that. I'm scared. Know. Stop. Stop it. Um, I just think I just think it would be fucked up, you know. You think you you see a clown, you think circus. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. Um, I just it. Hurt. I love scary movies. I really do, and I, I it really hurts me when I'm not scared because I'm such a scaredy cat. So I'm like, what the hell? Like I'm actually not too tough. <laughs> I don't know. I even really, I even really like like you know, big studio uh, horror movies that cost $3 million and the whole, like, method of making profit is um, it makes a $50 million in its first weekend and then it turns out it's terrible. Um, so nobody goes to see it after that. Um, I, I like those. I'm so willing to extend uh, olive branches to those kinds of things and, like, give them every chance they've got. But, like, I mean, I had fun last night, but the more in the sober light of day as this conversation deepens, I'm realizing it was just kind of kind of nothing like a three musketeers bar, but without even the chocolate outside, just a little just a nougat rectangle. Another another squandered moment. Priest outside the door. Priest outside the door. Yeah, what the fuck? So scary when he's facing away. So fun. Ooh, scary. And then he screams. May God have mercy on your soul with, like, blue eyes. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That was almost terrifying. Bad. His face wasn't even that fucked up. It wasn't. Do gore. Have his face fucking, like, dripping off or some shit. Have him not have a nose. Do fucking anything. He just is pale he and just is kind pale of pale and, like, had, bl- like, like, blue eyes kind of like Annabelle. But that's not what I wanted to see. I wanted to see something... Some fucking hot. Like I want to see him in like you know like a, like a fucking bikini or something. Yeah, well, I wanted I wanted um I wanted them to pan down and it's like he's definitely got a boner in his priest pants and I wanted the soundtrack to go like oh, do, 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 do. Yeah. and he goes that's what I wanted to see. He goes it's, whoopsie. It it's so scary because when he's facing away you don't know if you he has a, a boner, boner on yeah. accident. Yeah. Uh, but until you hear the do you and then you're like oh that's a boner sound. <laughs> oh I know what that oh, is now. Oh damn! That 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 doll's got a fucking boner. That doll's fucked up. <laughs> I've um, it seems like a lot of stories about like a demonic presence or like a demonic possession. Um, they they all seem to have some sort of stories of like anytime there was an onset accident, you can get an actor in an interview being like, you know, there was, you know, there was some freaky stuff going on the set of this movie, and uh, you know, I don't. <laughs> You know, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to. I don't want to say that it was uh, Macbeth that was haunting us or something like that. But I mean, it was kind of fucked up. Um, <laughs> Usually, there... think of sets as like safe spaces where you're going to do a movie or a play, but this hell is haunted. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's just like it'll it'll be something like a light fell on someone, which was probably like you know the grip hit his pen too hard. Um, but when when it's filtered through like this kind of thing. Um, Everyone, like, attributes it to something. I, I guess a lot of, like, very weird stuff has happened through the course of, like, the Exorcist series. Um, and I don't know if, like, if accidents were happening on, like, the nutty professor, if they would be like, there was a curse on this movie. But I, I, I do like to think of them being like, we knew that we were making something really haunted with Mr. Belvedere. 
when Christopher <laughs> Hewitt came in for a table read wearing nothing but some sweatpants and uh, no underpants underneath. He came in <laughs> and he sat on his own balls so hard that he screamed until the lights shook. And that's how we knew that there was a demon working behind the scenes on this. <laughs> he screamed until the light shook. It's like, no one stopped him before then. And I'm like, all right, let's see where this goes. <laughs> Someone get out a mic. Test the decibels on him. We gotta know. When I was animating The Incredibles, uh, <laughs> the set of The Incredibles was haunted. Yeah, I hate that stuff. It's scary as hell when you got a dump truck whip like that. <laughs> and that's uh, that's why I think the priest should have been facing the door, because then you wouldn't be able to tell if you had a dump truck back there or not. And that would have been scary. And then you'd see the back end, you'd go, do yo 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 And you're like, that's the ass sound. I about the dump truck. I hate it. Yeah, I I kind of don't, this is a shorter one, but I kind of don't have anything left, you know? I think we milked this fucking. I'm excited to watch the next one. <laughs> I, I'm really excited to hear y'all's take on it. I've I've seen the next movie quite a few times oh, i've wow. seen it like four or five times just because i am always the person being like no trust me like it's so wild that you'll enjoy yourself watching this um and every every time i have felt like yeah this is good my faith was not misplaced um <laughs> I'm, I'm very interested to see what y'all think uh should we do uh probable rankings because i think this one yeah, for please. me especially after this discussion i think for me it's probably going to be last place I know two is good, um, and I usually think that by the time horror series get to three, if the series started off good, it will probably be bad, but if the series started off not very good, I think interesting shit happens around that point. Um, so it's either going to be so bogged down in its own mythology and, you know, Easter eggs for the conjuring fans out there. Um, we put a ghost in the movie as a little Easter egg for all the conjuring fans. Um, in the doll, we put one in for the fans. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's either going to be that, or I think it's going to, kind of take that tack but run with it in a way like in getting like really maybe soapy or just like weirder um a movie series uh that i feel that way about is uh is the saw movies the mm. one is fine oh Speaking i thought James one Wan, was so good i i like one i it doesn't it doesn't ring all my bells do they get um, better i thought they most definitely got worse two three and four are really bad. Three in particular is um, watching it. It rocketed close to the top of my least favorite movies. It it like depressed and angered me. Um, but five and six kind of fuck because huh. they commit so hard to this baffling continuity. They never reboot it. They never abandon it. It's this fucking soap opera mess that occasionally cuts to like weird torture chambers. And by the time you've like kind of given up trying to follow it and you're just enjoying the ride. Um, so I kind of hope that's what 
happens with Annabelle 3, and I think that might be the case because so much conjuring is happening at all times. And if you're trying to, you know, fit in so much conjuring that's happened at all times since 2014 uh, and the year is 2019, I, th- I think um, that might be more fun for me. Sorry, that was an incredibly long-winded okay. way of saying um, it's going to be weird. <laughs> um, I just want to start off saying my the fervor which with I spoke has nothing to do with thinking I could even make a better film than this. I think it's always like pretty important to pay respect to like how hard it is to make a movie and like they made one and plenty of things about it were scary but in my personal opinion the scariness was undercut by some poor choices i think there were some strong actors who maybe never quite found their uh moments because the script was i think really plot heavy so while i kind of tore that shit up and maybe i was kind of harsh um, there is a lot about this movie that I do respect, it, including, like, a very cool plot of, like, a ghost from, like, a helter-skelter era. Like, that's very fun, and I did appreciate that backstory. That being said, I think that with the promise of this next film being better, I think I'm gonna put this at second. I can't imagine that it gets increasingly better. I'm kind of thinking that Annabelle Creation is sort of a one-off in excellence, and that it gets worse. So I'm guessing that this is number two out of three, but I don't know. Well, I'm still pissed about the choices, but like, I if you zoom out, it's just a movie, and you can't. You know what I mean? I don't know. It wasn't like it wasn't like so bad. It was just like could have been good. So it makes me more irate. Yeah, and and it doesn't like represent anything you know reprehensible it's it's not like the the face of uh you know the corporation that's taking over every multiplex or something like that it's just it's a movie um they're trying to make a movie and yeah i think you're right becky that should be noted because i've i've been coming down hard on it in this last half too so that's a good thing to bring up thank you i mean i can't call this an original movie this is a a spin-off of an adaptation that is in and of itself kind of craven um, because they've they've turned like sort of a Ripley's believe it or not thing into like gro- <laughs> yeah. like globe trotting hot people. Um, oh my god, that's but, so accurate. But you know, it it feels like even when these things fail, they are um, some of the like horror is like some of the closest we get to like original stuff for grown ups at a low budget getting made that gets pumped out. And people will see it because teenagers need something to scream at. And and this being like the, the dumb kind of harmless programming that it is. I mean, it's a fucking snooze. I wanted more stuff from the doll, but it's, you know, uh, a, an inoffensive little little effort. I know that um, Annabelle 3 involves like the Warrens are, I believe, characters in the story in that one. Ooh, so like that's fun. Patrick Wilson and and Vera Farmiga are in there. So I I cannot imagine ranking this above either of those. I think what'll happen is um Annabelle 1 is going to be number 4. Um I think Annabelle 3 is going to be number 3. I think Annabelle 2 is going to be number 2. And then I'm saving a spot open in case they make a scary movie six where Annabelle is played by a puppet and voiced by DJ Khaled. <laughs> um, I think 
for me, that's probably the biggest bummer of the of the pandemic is they had to shut down production. So now all of the references are going to be really dated. Perfect. Um, like like when uh, like when a guy walks into the room and he's dressed like Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems and uh, his balls are hanging out of his pants. Um, and then Charlie Sheen's going to go talk about Uncut Gems. No. <laughs> <laughs> Release epic movie in theaters right now under a different title and just see what happens. I have a HBO Max <laughs> presents the Re- release the Friedberg and Seltzer cut. Um, Dixon, did I ever tell you my insidious story? See, I I don't know if this was like a like a very common thing, but I guess at my school it was like a you know a tradition that like the week after you like graduate school you like go to some rich kid's family's beach house and do a lot of drugs. I never did beach week. Like it was one of those things that was like normal at my school, but I just like weirdly like never got the memo about it so i just like stayed on someone's couch and watched anime um but i would always hear stories about like what would come out of there and what happened um and the grade right on like the the kids who were like one year younger than me the class of 2011 i want to say they had their beach week um and there was this kid who um who I will rename Spencer for for all purposes here. And the story was that Spencer, who had seen Insidious in theaters like more than once and like like talked about it a lot, like it was, you know, the defining like scary movie for like a certain generation of teenagers. He um he did like too much acid, it sounds like. And he um he became convinced um, that the lipstick demon, played by composer Joseph Bashara, um, that's was... so cool that the composer played a demon. I I, I love that. I wish stuff yeah. like that happened more. Um, every once in a while, Michael Giacchino will have a cameo in something. I think he's stormtroopers in cinema. Some of the JJ Star Trek or Star Wars movies. Anyway, Spencer uh, did too much acid and became convinced that uh, the lipstick demon from Insidious was trying to fuck him in the ass. So he, he went around supposedly like the house at beach week. Um, he, he pulled, he pulled down his pants and he was, he was running around. Um, he was begging people to fuck him in the ass. (laughs) Wait, he was like, we's like, this should happen to stop the demon. No, no, no. He didn't want the demon to fuck him in the ass. So he was asking other people, like, someone quickly, like, someone get a cock in my ass before the demon gets it in there. And I, every time I think about James Wan, I think about that kid, like, running around, (laughs) bent over with his pants down, like, feet, like, sputtering like this, like a duck crossing the street, being like, fuck me, fuck me. So that, like, the insidious demon doesn't get in there. And I just, I think about that guy, and I hope it worked. The only way to stop from getting fucked is to get fucked, okay? I Can you imagine how frustrating it would be if you were a straight guy, and you got your friend to fuck you in the ass, and you got possessed anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be fucking pissed. I'd be so pissed. Lance, why didn't you fuck me better? <laughs> I thought you were my boy. Why didn't you fuck me good? <laughs> uh, just a small shout out to that demon um, 
I just want to give a little shout out to that demon that was going to fuck Spencer in the ass. Dead Horse is Becky Granger, PJ Audenzia, and Dixon Cashwell. Uh, we'd like to thank Max Huffman for our podcast's art. Uh, go to maxhuffman.com and order his book, Cover Not Final. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, we're at, uh, f- oh, fuck, I got to open my phone. Um, we're at, uh, Dead Horse Podcast on Instagram and at Dead Horse the Pod on Twitter. If you, um, if you're on, uh, I, I, I cut out a lot of my stutter when I'm editing this. If, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please, uh, rate us five stars and, and leave a nice review. It helps us out a lot. Okay. Thank you.